This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. man rest without a savior how can man rest not knowing if they're going to enter the kingdom of heaven so for throughout the old testament the old covenant they continue to work every year the day of atonement they had to do the, the the ministry the work there in the temple they had to work there was no rest but for us as believers in jesus christ our rest is not in a day our rest is in jesus christ Many believers are legalistic about the specific day of the week that is set aside for worshiping God. There's nothing biblical about that. Before the New Covenant, it was necessary to dedicate a day for Sabbath. That was the day they committed to rest. But as Pastor Eddie explores this concept, he explains that we are no longer held to the law of the Sabbath. Christ has become our rest, and we need Him every day of the week. Now let's join Pastor Eddie for today's edition of Running the Race. we get to Acts chapter 20, um, where Paul, it's time for Paul to move on. Paul feels it's time for him to move, and like a good apostle, like a good pastor, like a good leader, Paul calls for all those he had discipled in the faith there in the city of Ephesus, and to say farewell. So here we are in verse 1 in chapter 20, verse 1. It says, after the uproar had, uproar has, had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embracing them, and the to go to Macedonia. So Paul is still on his missionary, third missionary journey, and now he travels west, and what he's doing, he's retracing his steps to Macedonia, the steps that we have studied during uh, his second missionary journey, and you'll find that in Acts chapter 16 and 17. And, but during his travel, Paul is thinking about the church in Jerusalem and we know that he's thinking about the church in Jerusalem. We find, that, find this in his writings when he writes to the church in Corinth. For you students, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and also in the book of Romans chapter 15, Paul writes to these churches letting them know that when he was making this journey, he went out and made this journey for the purpose of collecting a love offering. Collect a love offering for the uh, famine's uh, a second uh, church that was in Jerusalem. They were hurting the church in Jerusalem, so he collected a love offering for them. And then in verse 2, it says, Now when they had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. This means that Paul visit, uh, revisited the city of Athens and Corinth. For three months, he went and he visited the city of Athens, and Corinth. And Paul writes this uh, in his book, uh, his letter to the church in Rome. This is how we know. Paul himself mentioned this in Romans, in Romans chapter 15, uh, verse 23, to Romans chapter 16, verse 2. And so 
Paul still has a heart for Rome. You remember in that last study, he said, I, ha- I must see Rome. And the reason why Paul wanted to see Rome is because he realizes that every city he went to, he see that there was a strong influence of Rome. Oh, how that would be great. Is that every city would be influenced by the gospel of Jesus Christ because of the church. Because of the church. And so Paul figures, you know, I got to go see Rome. Rome is the place. And it says here in Acts chapter 19, verse 21, is that when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So to see Rome is still in his heart, is still a passion in his heart. But here, uh, while he's in Corinth, during this time in verse, verse 3, these three months that he's been in Greece, this is where he wrote the book of Romans. During this time right now, in verse 3, uh, this is where he wrote the book of Romans. So when you study the book of Romans, this is the time during his third missionary journey while he's in Greece for three months. Uh, it's amazing that a guy, I don't know, I don't think it took him three months to write the letter to Romans, but I think out of all the books in the New Testament, the book of Romans is the most powerful. It's inexhaustible. They have chapters and volumes on just the study of the gospel uh, of the book of Romans. And so here, Paul is just penning down here in Corinth uh, the book of Romans. And it says, and he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him, as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return to Macedonia. Once again, if you know the ministry of Paul, it's been consistent almost every time. He shares the gospel. The gospel is being preached. God is doing incredible work. The enemy comes in. Opposition from the enemy always comes, and it just follows Paul. It just follows him. I mean, he's filled with the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is with him. But right after he finished, there's always opposition. And we see that in the pattern of, of the ministry of Paul, the Jews once again are after him, just like it was with the, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. The enemy continues to come after him. And guess what, saints? What does that mean? That for you and I as well, as we continue to run the race, as we continue to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm not talking about the Christian that comes on Sundays. I'm talking about those that are in ministry sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The enemy is going to come right after you just finish sharing the gospel. It's, 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 it's automatic. It's going to happen. The enemy will attack, and he will continue to attack. In our study this Wednesday, we study Exodus chapter 14, and uh, we, we saw how the Lord had uh, delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. The Lord set them free from Pharaoh, set them free from the city of Egypt. He also set them free from the bondage of slavery. And so once they've been set free with hands held high, they went over into the desert and they made it to the Red Sea. After they've been set free, do you think for one minute that Pharaoh's going to give up? No, he comes again. What does that tell you and me? Jesus Christ has set us free from the powers of Satan. Jesus Christ has set us free from the world. Jesus Christ set us free from the bondage of sin. Do you think for one minute that the enemy is going to give up, stop, and attacking you or going after you? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. 
Even when Jesus, during his earthly ministry, when he was uh, in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, there when Satan tried to tempt him, he said, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And on and on he went, and Jesus continued to give him the scripture, give him the scripture. But what happened at the very end, and I like Luke's gospel, he gives us this. At the very end of the temptation, in Luke chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. What does that mean? Okay, Jesus, you won. I'm going to leave you alone? No. We see throughout the ministry of Christ that he continued to have the Jews. The men in black always came after him every time he shared the gospel and healing people on the Sabbath. It continued on until he was faithful to the cross. And so, saints, it's going to happen to us as well. He will continue when the gospel is being preached, when the gospel is being uh, spread throughout your, your, in your life, at, in home, or in your community. What's going to happen? The enemy is going to come. He's going to come. Peter writes, he's in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Be sober, be vigilant, always. This is very important for us believers in Christ. Why? Because you put your guard down, what's going to happen? The enemy's going to come. Paul writes to the church of Ephesus. He tells them, put on the whole armor of God. We're never to take it off. Never to take off the armor of God. And read that and never take off the arm of God. Once you read Ephesians chapter 6, you'll find that those that have taken off their, gar- their armor, they're going to end up just like David when he took off his uh, uh, armor and everyone else went to battle. He stayed home without his armor. His armor was down. And where was he? Walking there in the palace until he saw Bathsheba and he fell. Always keep your armor, saints. Always be vigilant and be sober. But here... Is something we should not worry. I'm, you know, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, right? We shouldn't worry because what did Jesus say in John chapter 6 and verse 3? He said, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. And this, as we just, I just quoted in John, uh, John's epistle, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, John writes, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Who is he? The Holy Spirit's in us. He who is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than he, Satan, who's in the world. So, saints, you're going to have opposition. Jesus has been through it. Paul's been through it, especially if you're in ministry, you love the Lord, you're on fire for Jesus. What's going to happen? Opposition is going to come, but be sober, be vigilant. Don't put down your armor. What's going to happen? God is going to be with you. That's what's going to happen. Jesus overcome the world, and greater is he who is in you. And so Paul, they, again, they plotted to, to go after Paul and so Paul continues, it says, so the Jews plotted against him, and as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Eratachus and Secundus of Thessalonia, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and Tychacus, yeah, Tychacus, and Triophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas. 
And so these seven men that are named here, along with who? Who's this us in verse 5? Along with the author himself, his name is Luke, Dr. Luke. If you, if you notice the pronouns in verse 5 and in verse 6, the word us and we, we find that now Luke, the author of this book, is, has now joined Paul and company. When do we last see Luke? In Ephesus in chapter 16. He was in Ephesus. And so these eight men uh, all traveled with the Apostle Paul to Macedonia. Now, it is believed that these men went with Paul for two reasons. Number one, they went with Paul as representatives of various churches, carrying their love offering to be delivered to the hurting saints in Jerusalem. And, and you know, Paul was a man that, you know, he, he was a wise man. Accountability. Listen, you guys are bringing a love, a love offering for the fellow saints. Uh, you hold it and you come with me. You hold yours and you come with me as well. And I think that's great wisdom. So no one can accuse Paul of having his hand in the money box like Judas. And this is exactly what we do here in our ministry. I don't know $50, brother. And I, don't know, I don't know $500, brother. Because everybody is treated the same. There's no partiality in the kingdom of God. And when we do count the tithe and offering in the, in the church, what have, who counts it? We have, uh, I think, six different groups, six pairs that rotate and count the funds. I don't know who gives what. I don't want to know who gives what. And the reason why we rotate is that no one gets to know, you know, always know every week, oh, this person's a giver, this person's not. We pray before we count. We thank God for his provision and we pray that God bless those who entrust their, their money with the, with the ministry. And, but there's an accountability. There's always two. There's always two. You never know. We live in the world. And, and it's the church fault, to be honest. But this is the reason why we do it, just for an accountability. So the reason was they were representative of various groups to carry the love offering to the church. And the second one is that they, they went with Paul for safety. They heard that the Jews plotted against him. So this great wisdom. Paul is, Paul is an incredible leader. He's an incredible leader, and he has a lot of wisdom. And so Luke continues to write in verse 6, But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. You can see that Luke is such a doctor. He's very detailed. He pens down the exact days and locations, and that's just the doctor in him. And then in verse 7, it says, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now, I need for us to pay attention uh, to verse 7, and more particularly, the first eight words in verse 7. It says, now on the first day of the week. And the reason why we need to spend some time here, because there's a lot of false teaching, a lot of legalism, a lot of division within the church in certain groups, like Seventh-day Adventists, and it's made its way into the church and has to do regards with the day of rest, the Sabbath, and what day of the week is considered holy unto the Lord. What does verse 7, what does it say here? It reads, now on the first day of the week. What day of the week is considered the first day of the week? Sunday. The guys that said Monday are thinking about work. All right? 
We're not talking about Western culture. We live in, okay, Mondays, the first day one, you know, going to school. Well, not school yet, remember? Not yet. There's no summer. We're in the summer now. Uh, so the first day of the week is Sunday. Sunday is the first day of the week. Sunday. And this verse is the clearest verse in the New Testament that indicates that the first day of the week is Sunday. It was considered uh, the norm for them to meet on the first day of the week, the early church. Now, there are a lot of verses. So I'm going to give it to you in a little bit. But the first day of the week in the Bible has always been Sunday. Now, stay with me here. What day of the week did the Lord rest? The seventh day, right? It wasn't the first day of the week. He created the seventh, six days. He rested on the seventh. What day of the week was the Sabbath day for the Jews? Seventh day, right? The seventh. So it's not the first day of the week. It's the seventh. Now, hold that thought. There are those who believe and teach that Constantine, who came to power in AD 313, uh, was the one that changed the Sabbath or the, the day of worship to be on a Sunday. And that's what they teach. And so that's the reason why some people get legalistic about it. That's not the case. Because in AD 321... Constantine did not make the first day Sunday as a day of worship. He did, however, make a decree, and it has nothing to do with worship. And this is what he said. This is what's written. On the venerable day of the sun, S-U-N, let the magistrates and the people reside in the city rest and let all workshop be closed. On that day, the sun, S-U-N, has nothing to do with worship. It was sun. It was pagan. He, you know, he was a pagan worshiper. Later on, he converted to Christianity, and that's why they have a lot of uh, going into Catholicism because of that. That kind of incorporated uh, pagan, pagan worship. But anyway, that is exactly what, what Constantine uh, said. That was the decree. It has nothing to do with the worship on Sunday, but it was put aside for the sun, the sun. Now, with that said, there are people who say, well, that's the reason why we don't worship on a Sunday, because it was for the sun. Guy was pagan. Well, if that be the case, then if you worship on a Saturday, it's just as, it's just as pagan, because Saturday, the word comes from the word Saturn. So either you worship the sun on a Sunday, if you want to be, you worship the Saturn on Saturday. So when do we worship? When do you, we worship the Lord? See, all this is nonsense. But here's what's important. Before Constantine was ever pictured in history, before Constantine, there were, there were early church fathers who quote and, and recorded that the church met on the first day of the week. Before Constantine. So if anybody gives you that teaser, let's, let's put Constantine aside. That's not what he was talking about. You go to an early church father, Tertullian. Tertullian, who lived from 160 AD to 220 AD. This is what he writes. The first day of the week, was the only day in which Christians should celebrate communion. Now, I disagree what he's saying is the only day we should celebrate communion because you as believers in Christ, we don't put out, uh, we don't worship one day. We can have communion tomorrow, Monday. What does that mean? That the communion of Sunday is more effective and God accepts that communion than the one on Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday? So, but here you can see it's just one of the many quotes by some of the early church fathers that quoted, they're, they're all over. You can find it, you can Google it, you can look in the history, you go to the library, you'll find that they always mention that the early church met on the first day of the week. But here, let's put the history aside. We have our Bibles, do we not? 
Don't we look at the scripture and see what the scripture says? I guess, you know, instead of what man says or other groups or denominations or I call them demonations or different you know, religions. Let's look at what the Bible says. Well, Paul says this. To, he wrote to the church in Corinth when it comes to collecting money. Remember, he was one that was collecting money uh, for the church. And this, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, it says, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. First day of the week. Why? This is when the saints gathered. This is when they gave their offering. This is when they gave their tithe. This is when they uh, dedicated all their, their first fruits, their first funds, their money. Instead of giving it to Caesar, they gave it to the Lord first. And this was the first day of the week. And so um, Paul is just saying, listen, collect it together so when I get there, I don't have to, you know, it's not collecting in front of me like it's for me. Let's do it professionally. Let's do it in order. You guys do that. When I get there, you know, we'll have the representatives, for, uh, representative from your church who come with me, and then we could go to the church. That's what he did with all these men that we just mentioned, all these seven, eight men that was listed. First day of the week. First day of the week, according to Scripture, is what? Sunday. The seventh day of the week is Saturday. Jesus, the Lord, after creating uh, heaven and earth, he rested on the seventh day of the week, Saturday. But we're talking about Sunday, the first day of the week. Jesus rose from the dead, first day of the week, Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20. Jesus appeared to the disciples on the first day of the week, John chapter 20. Jesus appeared inside the room to the 11th disciple eight days after the first day of the week. John chapter 20. The Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. When? First day of the week. Acts chapter 2 verse 1. The first sermon ever preached by Peter. When did it happen? First day of the week. Acts chapter 2 verse 14. 3,000 converts joined the church. When did that happen? First day of the week. Acts chapter 2 verse 41. The 3,000 were baptized. When did that take place? First day of the week, Acts chapter 2, verse 41 as well. And here we see that the church also heard the message from Paul as he departs when they gather. When? First day of the week. First day of the week. You know, when the Lord gave the children of Israel, he made a special covenant to them. On the seventh day you shall rest. There's a reason why the Lord made that covenant with the children of Israel. Why? Why should we rest? The Lord rests after creating the earth, heaven and earth for six days. But when sin came in, there is no more rest. Sin came in in the Garden of Eden. Now they had to work with the sweat of their brow, pulling out weeds from the garden, suffering pain, and then we're counting out the days till we die. How can man rest without a savior? How can man rest not knowing if they're gonna enter the kingdom of heaven? So for throughout the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, they continue to work every year, the Day of Atonement. They had to do the, the, the ministry, the work there in the temple. They had to work. There was no rest. But for us as believers in Jesus Christ. I'm we hope that today's edition of Running the Race has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Milford, Pennsylvania area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on Running the Race are produced from the worship services at Calvary Chapel of Milford. Maybe the teaching you heard is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We have services every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. 
as well as an in-depth midweek Bible study every Wednesday at 7 p.m. For more information about service times, including driving directions, log on to runningtheraceradio.com and then simply click on Service Times. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support Running the Race. Radio programs like Running the Race are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced, and God has given us a vision to see running the race expand throughout the tri-state area. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting running the race? Log on to runningtheraceradio.com and simply click on the Give option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God richly bless you. Please join us next time for another edition of Running the Race.